When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's interview guests are Daryl Grove and Taylor Rockwell of the Total Soccer Show and Soccer 101 Podcasts. While we've got you, make sure to check out Planet Football TV, SI's weekly soccer video series that I co-host with Luis Miguel Echegaray. We have interviews, debate, and thoughtful opinions on the game we all love. That's Planet Football TV. Onward! Let's bring in our guests today. They are Daryl Grove and Taylor Rockwell, who co-host the popular Total Soccer Show podcast and now also host a terrific new podcast called Soccer 101, which takes a close look at topics like the offside rule, English versus American soccer terminology, and why is Pele so famous? Guys, I can't believe there's time in the day when you're not recording your own podcasts, but here you are. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for having us. I think you just summed up Soccer 101 better than either one of us has been able to do so far. So thanks for that. I'm going to steal that introduction. <laughs> and you're, you're catching us between recording podcasts. That is also true. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, uh, you guys are very prolific as well at, at uh, a high quality rate. So uh, Yeah, we're, we're okay with the sound of our voices. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first off, I just want to say congratulations. Uh, I listen to your podcast a lot. I learn a lot from them. Uh, but you also have a really nice sense of humor and a chemistry that I think is really cool. And I'm curious to know how that developed and how you guys first met and decided to do a podcast together. Uh, for me, Daryl is really easy to get along with and very patient. And for Daryl, I'm going to assume <laughs> the answer is lots of patience. <laughs> and we met playing soccer. Yes. Yeah, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. We were both playing for an amateur team here called uh, Richmond City, which is a really well-organized amateur team. What, 2008? Yeah. Yeah, we, so we met as teammates. Um, I think we both realized that we were into soccer podcasts and the Pogues. The yes, that, that, over. common bonding issues, yes, and it was soccer in, and the Pogues. And it was back in the day when there was what? There was Guardian Football Weekly and uh, that, Football Ramble. And, and there that was, was pretty much it, right? Uh, what was the one with the gentleman who oh, no one was on the radio? World Football Daily. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes, that was that was one of my first interviews. It didn't go well. Uh, yeah, so we started then and we were playing soccer. But I think Daryl was the editor of The Offside at that point. He knew that I was into soccer. He had sort of... Then thinking about maybe launching a podcast or a radio show, and we ended up launching a radio show here in Richmond on a local independent station. And then at a certain point, it was just easier to do a podcast, and we had bigger numbers with the podcast and the radio show. Uh, So even though I still tell my parents I do a a radio show because that's the way they understand (laughs) what a podcast is, uh, (laughs) yes, it's been podcast since, what, 2014? Yeah, podcast only since 2014. But the radio show start, I think, is 
was the key to us yeah. learning a lot of production stuff. Like we yeah. we literally had someone teach us what all the buttons do on a mixing board, <laughs> which I think most people don't get that uh-uh. head start. Right, you have to sort of figure it out for yourself. So Jay Westerman was his name. Recently mm-hmm. passed away. So uh, big thanks to Jay Westerman for uh, showing us what the buttons do. <laughs> yeah, and when you first started the podcast, I mean. Did you think it would become what it has become? How like how rudimentary were some of your initial efforts? Uh, very is the answer to that. <laughs> um, no, I had the idea. Like, I need to find a, a, a more succinct way to explain this, but I definitely had the like sitcom idea of a podcast or radio show that like we'll start it and then everybody will start listening to it in the city and then it will expand from there and suddenly we'll yeah. be this na- like I think everybody has that idea and mm-hmm. when that doesn't happen, you sort of have to realize like oh. 40 people are the number of people who want to listen right. to me talk about soccer. and so Slowly I, but surely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I had, I think I had a very structured idea of like, we'll do segments and we'll do like top fives and we'll have joke introductions. And we tried that for about a week. Yeah. And then <laughs> James Richardson esque is what you were going for. Yes. I think so. but that's nice of you to say. I was trying to steal from James Richardson. Uh, it, it is the more. I said esque. I didn't say it was as good. <laughs> that's definitely true. Uh, and then I think we just kind of figured out that basically with the podcast, because we were still trying to fit it into the 27 and a half minute radio segment that mm-hmm. we were allotted and I think we realized with a podcast you kind of don't have to rush and you can focus on one t- topic a little bit longer and I think that was when we sort of figured out the structure to the show was a bit more rambly uh, and a bit longer as opposed to trying to cram in segments yeah. and kind of then end up being talking heads almost we kind of wanted to avoid that deliberately and where are you guys from like and how do you get to Richmond Virginia <laughs> so Taylor's from here. Right? I am. Yes. Oh, okay. Taylor's from here. I'm, I'm originally from the West Midlands, mm-hmm. near uh, between Birmingham and Wolverhampton uh, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I met my wife, who's American. She's from uh, Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, I met her in grad school in Ireland in 2002. Then when we got married, uh, we moved over here. She had a friend in Richmond, Virginia. We visited and we were sort of like, oh, this is a great place to, you know, start start fresh, start mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. yeah. And then as Joe said, yeah, I was born here. I went to school out in Kentucky. And when I moved back is uh, from college is when we met. Uh, and then Daryl kept the show going when my wife and I were abroad for two years. And then when we were living in D.C. for two years or northern Virginia, I should say, definitely not D.C. That's a big <laughs> distinction. Uh, then we kind of did it remotely at that point. But Daryl definitely gets the credit for at least those two years keeping it going while I was uh, off ga- gallivanting around Europe and the <laughs> Middle East. Gallivanting? I, mean, I don't know if you know this, Graham, but we had yeah. multiple uh, other co-hosts during mm-hmm. that time. This would be like okay. 2012, right? So yeah. Alberto Tati, Josh Sankas, Peyton Sadal, Laura Coote, Ryan Hines. Mm-hmm. A lot of people sort of guested and kept the show going for that yeah. year or two while Taylor was away. Oh, okay. And in terms of like where you are with the show, I mean, like you guys, you have a lot of listeners now. Uh, you produce, is it how many shows a week? Five episodes of the Total Soccer Show and then occasionally Soccer 101 as well. And okay. then Top Draw Soccer Show as well is oh, another yeah. one that we put out with uh, with our friend Travis Clark and Top Draw Soccer uh, personnel. Yeah. Right. So that's a lot of stuff. And, yeah. and also, and I mean, I'm, I do one podcast episode a week, this one. And so I realize exactly what goes into all of that. And to be able to be knowledgeable and do research and like watch games, I, like um, it, I assume this is a full time gig, right? It yeah, is indeed. And then some. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and to your next question, I, I, I'm assuming your next question, what that takes is accommodating wives, I think, or wives <laughs> who are okay with us, like, 
not being sociable on a Friday evening because we're researching the games that we then have to talk about for like the following Monday. Yeah, I had to not watch the Four Weddings and Funeral TV show with my wife last night <laughs> in order to watch. You made that sacrifice, Shelter, did you? Bayern. Yeah, I did watch Succession though. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's obvious. I mean, of course, you're watching Succession. But I mean, like, and you know this as well as I do. I mean, like, for there aren't that many full-time soccer media people in America, even as the sport has gotten bigger and. Hopefully there will be more and more. But for a lot of people, it's like this labor of love. I'm thinking of a lot of writers um, and, and people who have other jobs to help pay the bills. How, like, how, What was the process of you guys getting to the point where this was your full-time gig? Was it always like that or did that happen over time? I mean, we sort of treated it like a full-time gig when it wasn't full-time money, mm-hmm. yeah. if that makes sense. There's a lot of, like, we, I mean, we've been up till 5 a.m. making yeah. sure we got World Cup shows done and this and that. So we really, I think, sacrificed early on to almost act as if we were full-time, but also with another full-time job yeah. until eventually it turned around so it really could be full-time. And when we first started, we started off as w- once a week with the radio show and then we went to twice a week, like, fairly yeah. quickly. And at that point, like, the other co-hosts Daryl mentioned were in the same situation as me, but, like, I was working in 8 to 5, so then mm. there were definitely nights where we would be up until like 2 or 2.30 recording and then being at the office at 8 a.m., which was like a 30-minute drive away, was a bit of a challenge. So mm-hmm. I think I'm a little different than Darrow and that for me it was like I treated it as a full-time thing and like it was definitely an avenue for a lot of like what I wanted to be doing because I was working a cubicle job. But it definitely wasn't until probably the 2014 World Cup when we sort of – that was our make-or-break thing was basically yeah. after that tournament if the show didn't kind of jump to the next level or we weren't able to start monetizing a little bit, I think that's where we were going to stop doing it. I forgot we had that conversation yeah. yeah there was a chance that we were gonna mm-hmm. yeah end it in 2014 but oh, instead wow. lots yeah. of because we did a show every day we previewed and reviewed every yeah. single game mm-hmm. um that that was when we picked up a lot i think we doubled our listenership in that in that tournament yeah um, and people started sending us donations and we were suddenly suddenly like yeah like Tyler said slightly next level then we became a business yeah then we yeah we did things properly and registered and all that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> after getting money coming in we we're like we should probably have a way to categorize this so this doesn't look uh quite so like uh, nefarious and then the for us that for me at least the other big turning point is when we learned how to sell ads mm-hmm. so we um originally we just essentially just pitched a few companies unsuccessfully but then literally got i mean grant you, you probably know like maybe when you got your start writing it's all about the pitch right if you can pitch yeah. a story then you can get that story published somewhere and you can get paid for it we learned how to pitch ads and then how to deliver ads in a way that advertisers were were really happy with and i think that's it's one of the things we don't talk about a lot because people aren't always that people are more interested in mm-hmm. soccer than hearing about um advertising business yep. stuff but that that was the big turning point for us because that allowed us to monetize it no that yeah, makes sense I mean, go ahead. Because I was going to say, because we had the, like, I think around 2014, 2015, after the 2014 World Cup is when we kind of launched our version of Patreon. We always disagree on whether or not Patreon existed at the time or existed in the <laughs> iteration, just not in the incarnation that we wanted. I think because it was like you had to show who was giving what. Anyway, yeah, we yeah. chose not to do Patreon. But I think around then is when we started doing the, like, subscriber network. Uh, the network. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that helped, like, definitely keep it going. And we were able to get an office space and, and soundproof to some extent. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely the advertisers, I think, is when it went to that next level of like, oh, this is a thing that like I can stop coaching you soccer and Daryl can stop doing any of the other number of freelance positions he was doing at that <laughs> moment and focus a little bit more on uh, doing the show full time. Yeah, I mean, like I'm in a slightly different situation here because I'm, you know, doing this podcast under, you know, Sports Illustrated. But my wife, Ooh, actually- what is what is Sports Illustrated again? <laughs> <laughs> it's a magazine is that what it is and we just turned 65 last week um <laughs> yeah, yeah. that sounds about right and um wow. 
My wife, though, has started a podcast series, and it's been interesting. She's a doctor, has nothing to do with sports, but, um, you know, to kind of experience that through her and what she's learning about advertising, a lot of times she's hearing that you need to have upwards of 25, 50,000 listens for every episode to get advertisers. Is that accurate? I think agencies will tell you that mm-hmm. because they only want shows with big numbers. But yeah. if you, like when we first did the advertising, when we figured it out, was we pitched soccer specific companies. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't have that many listeners at that time, but it, we could say to them, we have this niche audience that directly fits your product, right? So when there's a one-to-one match like that, I think it's a lot easier to to sell an ad to a company when the whole audience is, is you know, soccer fandom. Yeah, because I think it, it's also the case that I think we have a, a pretty like active listener base, not to say that other shows don't, but it's been the case for us that even with maybe smaller downloads than the ones that you were mentioning, I think we are able to demonstrate a like decent rate of what's the conversion I guess like mm-hmm. yeah. we, we had people using the links and using the products and I think as long as you have people who want to support you or are interested in the products that you're talking about I think that is the bigger difference I think that's it right I think so I get the impression a lot of people are like I don't really desperately need that product yeah. but I could I could buy that product yeah. and I'll be supporting the Total mm-hmm. Sock Show when I do it. And I think a lot of listeners are sort of generous in that way. Yeah. In that they'll maybe buy a shirt that they don't 100% need, but they, they don't not need. And, and I should add, <laughs> listeners, you do need that shirt. It's very, very important that you have that shirt at all times. So how do you guys approach making your podcast? How do you go about it? Ooh, it's a lot of text messages, right? It's sort of that. <laughs> Our version of Slack is just texting back and forth at all hours. Yeah, I think that's the that's the one thing that like really is hard to explain to people in my life, aside from my wife who just accepts it. That like Daryl and I are kind of working twenty four hours a day. Like there there is it's a not unrealistic unrealistic expectation that if I text him at like two a.m. to be like, hey, did you see this? That he will respond immediately. Like, yeah, I'm watching that now. And I mean that sincerely <laughs> that like we both keep very strange hours, but as a result are kind of always texting about, hey, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this next week? And does this resonate or not? And I think that like that level of communication is maybe a bit much at times, but but definitely <laughs> is how we go about planning stuff. And then we get into the rhythms of like the Monday weekend review. Uh, and then I think it used to be that we would preview stuff towards the end of the week. We've, we've moved away from that a little bit because that content tends to expire fairly quickly. Yeah. If you're previewing games that happen within 48 hours, right. people don't tend to listen to it after that. But, yeah, it's a lot of texting. I think Dale's right on that one. And then we both know what the show's roughly going to be because we text and we know which games we need to have seen and which incidents we need to watch closely. Mm-hmm. So by the time we get to studio, um, unless one of us has you know, <laughs> not done the homework, which is <laughs> rare, right? We've basically yeah. always show up prepared. We're mostly just ready to go. And, and like, in terms of, like, U.S. soccer, the U.S. soccer audience, um, as you know, is extremely fragmented. And people in the United States follow all sorts of different soccer leagues from around the world, men's soccer, women's soccer, domestic soccer, international soccer. Do you sort of have an approach of what it is you want to cover or do you just sort of see what works? I think we try to be just motivated by what we're interested in. Yeah. And so that keeps it from feeling like an obligation and more enjoyable. Like the, and, it, and it often just coincides that the thing we were interested in is what the American soccer fandom is also interested in. Like mm-hmm. everybody's interested in what Christian Pulisic did at Chelsea mm-hmm. this weekend, right? And everybody's interested in uh, the US men's and women's national teams. So yeah. we naturally trend towards those things. And I sometimes feel a little bit, a little bit of guilt, like maybe we should do more MLS, maybe we should do more NWSL. Um, but we also, we, for example, we don't get 
we did listen to questions we're about to record this weekend, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't get any NWSL questions. I was really hoping mm-hmm. that we would because it would give us an excuse to mm-hmm. to talk about it. But um, we try to just not deliberately reflect what other people are watching, but just choose what, what we're watching happens to be the thing that we talk about and just hope that the overlap is pretty close there's some sort of venn diagram there yeah and then kind of accepting that with that said no one is ever going to be totally happy and we're yeah. still going to get even if we talk about a game we will still get the like no mention of this question mark and yeah. and you just sort of accept that like yeah you're not going to make everybody happy all the time but if you're talking about stuff that you are interested in or have actual opinions on then that will kind of shine through as opposed to talking about stuff just to talking about yeah. to be talking about it so to then people are happy yeah, yeah exactly And one thing that I absolutely love that you guys do are around World Cups, men's and women's, your team-by-team scouting reports. Um, (laughs) And I I listen to other ones. And the fact of the matter is, is that whether it's written or podcast, I haven't found any team-by-team scouting reports of World Cups better than yours. Now, maybe I'm missing something, but I, I find them very enjoyable. You're not. Don't go looking. And, <laughs> and I'm wondering, I, the research you guys put into this must be intense, right? Yeah. I mean, we kind of uh, like shot ourselves in the foot here because we started off with four co-hosts like previewing different groups. I think for the 2014 tournament, we had like six different co-hosts kind of rotating in to preview yeah. different teams. It was one team each. Yeah. Group, right? And then suddenly when it was just the two of us, we realized we got a lot more work to do. Uh, <laughs> but but it's, it's a thing that I think both of us really enjoy, uh, even though it is a lot of work. But it's like when you read about a team and, and suddenly have strong opinions about who Egypt's fourth choice winger might be, <laughs> like it, it does make you that much more Chikabala. invested in the tournament. And so then I think we want to like watch every single game because we now know Morocco play this way, Iran play this way. That's going to be an exciting game mm-hmm. more so than just like, oh, those are two weird teams. Let's see what happens. And my guess based on reading other previews that say uh, are published in newspapers or whatever is that not everybody's watching the teams. I mm-hmm. think, I think right. I can't guarantee this, but I think the thing that we do differently is we actually find footage and watch the teams and then base our opinions uh, and analysis on actual, you know, actually watching games and deciding things based on that instead of, oh, I see he's got this guy in the roster. He plays for that team. He must right. be good. Dylan, are you telling me that they're going to have a well-organized defense and be looking for a strong <laughs> tournament? Yeah, exactly. That's my favorite one. They're going to be looking to have a strong tournament <laughs> yeah. as though there are teams out there who are actively not trying to play well at the but World honestly, Cup. Honestly, it's people who are really busy, right? And true. they're suddenly Very tasked true. with putting these uh, these previews together and you just they do, doing the absolute best they can. I think we have the luxury of having time and whatever's wrong with our brains that makes us willing to yeah. <laughs> makes us willing to do this. Grant, can you tell which one of us is the more emotional one and which one of us is the one that calms things down? <laughs> and your show Soccer 101, I, I, I really am enjoying it. I've listened to the Offside episode. I've listened to the Pele episode. Um, there are other ones which I'm looking forward to as well. Um, and there is a, a, a sense of timelessness with these, which is nice, but also... I had had an idea at one point at Sports Illustrated of, um, especially after World Cups, I wanted to have maybe one written piece a week for newbie fans, people who had like gotten into the sport of soccer through the World Cup and wanted to learn more. And I never ended up doing it because I didn't want to seem like I was talking down to people. Um, But what you found here is a way in the Soccer 101 to get into interesting topics that will be useful for the newbie, like the offside rule, but also because you get into the history of the offside rule, will 
be interesting to fairly hardcore soccer people. And, and I think that's just a really cool idea. Yeah, that's what we were hoping is that it's something – if someone just wants to learn the basics of offside, they can listen to the first, what, seven minutes of that show. Yep. But if they want to hear the deep, deep history of how offside started and how it's progressed through the years, uh, then the stuff that we learned, right? Mm-hmm. We absolutely didn't know – I'm going to say like 66% of what's in that episode. So it was mm-hmm. fun for us to learn about it and then fun for us to uh, – to talk about it so yeah that's that's kind of the goal so i'm really glad that that came through and we we didn't feed you those talking points right that's that's grandma's opinion <laughs> you, did, based on listening. you did pretty much hit the key points of why we started the show yeah. from like top to bottom uh so so credit to you for that one but for me it, it, it was also like there's so many things in soccer that i think like i am afraid to ask about because i think like oh everybody knows that already and i'm just a dummy for not and really i think everybody is sort of like has an idea on a lot of stuff like uh, like like Grant, you could probably explain. Oh, this is what a nine is. This is what a ten is. But like, I didn't know that there used to be a two. Like, I, mm-hmm. I want to know about that stuff. And so, like, I, I find that there's lots of little things, even in sort of well-known topics, that end up being really interesting to delve deep on and find out more about. Yeah, I learned when we did the numbers episode. Mm-hmm. I learned that Brazil has a three, and three is yeah, this right? sort of ball-winning centre back. I just yeah. didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I've been watching Brazilian players with three on their back, winning balls for ages. Did I just always thought it was just a weird coincidence? Yeah. But apparently, it's a thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. So like. And, and like the Panenka episode, learning how like the like the Soviet Union informed a Panenka in the sense that they're behind a wall and so no one knows what's happening there. And so it can kind of this penalty approach can develop in secret mm-hmm. almost is like a, a weird way of understanding like the history of soccer from yeah. all like the geopolitical and historical connections that I find really interesting. I think it's fascinating just this idea and I, I'm excited to see where else you go with it. I, we were talking earlier before we started recording about the uh, the Pele episode and I mentioned to you that that not too long ago, I'd actually written the Sports Illustrated obituary for for Pele, which feels kind of creepy in a way because he's very much alive. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, but if anything happens to him, you're the prime suspect, I guess. But you know, you gotta have stuff. <laughs> only, stu- only if it matches perfectly with what the cause of death was in the obit, <laughs> then it, then I have questions. At least I didn't have to interview him for it because another Sports Illustrated writer I know actually wrote an obituary for uh, for John Wooden back in the day and uh, interviewed him for it, and eventually they got around to like the fact that they're doing this for his obituary, which was kind of weird. Um, But um, I've written obits now for Pele and for Maradona. And sometimes I think Maradona might leave us sooner. But... um, Wait, it, I, can I interject to ask you, which one was more difficult? Because I imagine writing the Maradona one, just like, and I, I know it, I, it's not a thing to be joked about, but like he has a colorful past is how I'll put that one. Yeah. And like, he, I, I take your point that he could leave us sooner rather than later. Like, it, was that one harder to write because there are so many different ways to write about him? You know, they were both, I, I just think you had to find the right balance with Maradona and figure out like, you know, how much of the sports stuff do you write about? How much of the off the field stuff do you write about? With Pele, it was more about the soccer. With Pele, as, as you mentioned in your podcast, Soccer 101, um, with Pele, it's a little bit more about verifying what's true or not. <laughs> like, how many goals did this guy really <laughs> does, score? Yeah, does it add up to a thousand or does it not? <laughs> and, and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but with Maradona, I think it actually started with an email to one of my editors after I'd finished the Peleo bit. And I said, you know, we maybe should get going on Maradona as well. <laughs> um, you know, because this is a guy who has nearly died a couple of times. Um, and I mean, just today as we're recording this on August 26th, HBO. The 2010 World Cup was pretty brutal for him. True. Um, <laughs> 
uh, HBO released the trailer for uh, this Maradona movie uh, documentary that's been out in a few other parts of the world but has yet to come out in the U.S., um, which I'm really excited to see. But um, in terms of, yeah, in, in terms of Pelé, I'm curious to see if you do a, a Maradona episode at, at some point, but um, it is fascinating how um, how widely known he is in the U.S. to people who know nothing about soccer. Yeah. Yeah, my father-in-law is the, the example I use, I think, on the show, who really couldn't name another soccer player, but definitely knows who Pelé is. And do you feel like, did we answer that one effectively? Because I, I would still struggle to give you like a succinct answer as to why that's the case. It's probably the 70s NASL yeah. Cosmos stuff, right? That makes sense. Yeah, I think All that's right. a big part of it. I mean, like, I remember Michael Jordan having a quote once where um, somebody asked him and one of his, when he was still with the Bulls on some international tour, what he thought of like Brazilian Ronaldo. And he was like, never heard of the guy. And he was like at the height <laughs> of his powers, but I have heard of Pelé. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So maybe maybe he can listen to Soccer 101 to learn the intricacies of why Pele is Pele. Yeah, Michael Jordan. There we go. So what, <laughs> other, sure to- what other topics do you want to get into on this show? We're going to do a Cruyff one, I think similar to Pele. Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on how Cruyff changed soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We were just planning this out the other day, right? There's a Google Doc somewhere. There is a Google Doc. Um, um, we want to look. We wanted to start doing some like historical match review to look at like the tactics of the game because that's a big part of what we do on Total Soccer Show. Mm-hmm. But then also sort of like the the fallout from that game or like what what happened leading yeah. into that game. So I think we're gonna maybe look at. Can uh, we say which one it is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, USA Mexico from 2002 World Cup. Uh, that, nice. that game and looking at like what happened and why it happened and who did what and who did what when and that that's one I'm definitely really excited for. What else we got? Oh, the 50 plus one rule in the mm-hmm. Bundesliga. I think yeah. it's really interesting yeah. just as clubs like Leipzig are finding ways around it. I think it's interesting to to know exactly why, what it is and why it existed in the first place and what the future of it might be. I yeah. think it could be a good episode. And then like long term, I don't know if we'll do that like these in the like the coming months, but I've, I'm really interested in like the Adidas Puma split and the rivalry yeah. there and how much those brothers did not care for each other. It's Similarly, like, it's like a Twix commercial, but for real, right? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> With elements of national so- socialism mixed in yes since those two brothers not not the best but like like that stuff like the history of footwear uh specifically the predator i think we talked about that shoe and how like that came to be so yeah. little things that i think maybe even like the predator one might seem sort of like you're going to talk about a shoe for 30 minutes but <laughs> everything that went into it and then the fallout from it I-, I find really really interesting and it's one of those like small little thing that ends up being a really interesting narrative i've always thought it was fascinating how i've heard stories about when nike got into the soccer cleat market in like like 93, 94, right around then, or just got into mm-hmm. soccer. And like their first shoes apparently were like so bad that they like fell apart. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I remember those shoes. But Not then great. but then they got like, you know, the US, they got Brazil, they started making shoes that didn't fall apart and actually were beloved um, before too long. So and, and even if they had continued to fall apart, you just had Brazil wearing them in the airport, <laughs> kicking the ball around. And I was like, all right, that's fine. I'll wear those. If I can do that the way they do that, I'll wear Nikes. Why not? So I wanted to ask you guys, what are some of your favorite moments in the history of your show? Ooh. Um, I think the 2014 World Cup, just because yeah. we had that sense of excitement of, mm-hmm. oh, suddenly more people are listening. Yep. So that was definitely uh, – and because we talked about maybe wrapping things up if things didn't go well. So that really had that um, excitement about it. I think anything for me where – I agree with that. And I would add like anything where we spent so much time – 
either not sitting in the same room but still talking about soccer or sitting in the same room talking to each other about soccer that it becomes difficult to know like are people actually listening and that that 2014 one when we decided to for the first time to like take donations and people chose to support the show yeah. that was a moment of like oh people care similarly we did uh, a live tour uh, what in 2018 was yep. it I forget summers Last and year. years yeah, yeah. Uh, with like uh, the Cooligans and Michael mm-hmm. Majid and, and that went very well for us but it was also nice to go to like Omaha I think is where we started and going to Omaha and having people like show up because they listen to the show yeah. uh, like that maybe sounds like just a straight up brag but for me it was a really cool moment of like oh there are people all over the country who, who listen to us and that's yeah. just uh, reassuring and nice to know I think a big moment for us was um, January 2018 Mm-hmm. In Philadelphia for yeah. the, uh, the coaches' convention. Yeah, we met you there. Yeah, we, yeah. So we we met Grant Wall for the first time. We mm-hmm. met a lot of people. Yeah. for the first time, and we were really shocked that, for example, Grant Wall knew who we were. <laughs> yes, we were, like, yes, oh, we were. Okay. <laughs> so that was a really nice. That was a really nice uh, few days for us, right? To, yeah. Uh, to meet all the media people yeah. um, and some soccer people that obviously we knew because they're you know high profile. Yeah. But then for them to be like, oh, you're the Total Soccer Show guys. Like, yeah. That was that, like weirdly. What's the, what's the word? Um, affirming. Affirming, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's why since then we've started going to like the coaches' conventions every year. We go to, we've been to the past two what, All-Star Games. We went to MLS Cup. And prior to that, yeah. we didn't really do any sort of traveling. We didn't really go anywhere, uh, meet anybody. We just sat in our, in our office and hoped yeah. people listened. And so, it's, yeah, it's been <laughs> nice to get out and meet people. But I should add that like, like in terms of being in the office 2016, that summer, yeah. which was ludicrous for us because we were covering uh the euros during the day exactly Copa oh, Centenario wow. at night yeah so we had we had times when we would get here at like what nine forty-five to cover the first euro game and then what like games kicking off in Copa america centenario at 9 p.m so we yeah. would be in here for like go home for five hours and come back for the next games basically. that's one of those things that's kind of horrible at yeah. the time it's, yes. it's a bit punishing but we're really proud of in hindsight that yeah. we managed to do that yeah and, and it and it just kind of became like yeah that's what we do like it's just accept, and once it becomes an accepted part of your day, it's not a whole thing. But yeah. in retrospect, it's like, why did we do that to ourselves? That was <laughs> that was ludicrous. <laughs> so I do think we have a cool soccer community in the U.S., which yeah. I've noticed too when I go to conventions and uh, you know MLS All Star, MLS Final, or you know things like that. Um, I'm wondering in terms of the American soccer media folks or just general soccer media you know who do you guys admire the most <laughs> it's a, a long pause while i think about that do you have anybody in particular that comes to mind there's a lot of writers i read like grant mm-hmm. i read your stuff yep. obviously um i like matt doyle stuff for for mls yeah um yeah. i've always said i like i like bobby walshaw when we get him on the show because he always yeah. has weird ideas but then can back them up <laughs> i find him really interesting i think if you listen back to early shows and then when I used to like write a little bit more regularly like I would say not anymore but I think the person that I most like modeled myself on or like respected as with most young white males is Bill Simmons that's yeah. that's a person who I like like because he was I think in my mind the first one to really combine sports and pop culture uh, I, I listen to less of him these days but that was one where I think like that was kind of I would listen to him on the way to that eight to five job and be like I want to be doing that and not going and sitting in an office so I think he was he was pretty formative in terms of making me think about like doing a show in a different way but still talking about sports so I'm I don't know why I'm almost embarrassed to say Bill Simmons because I feel like that makes me pretty lame at this point. No, but I don't I think so. I mean, like, I, I get why you would say that, maybe, but like, um, we had Bill on uh, on our podcast here, ranting and raving about the uh, South Southern California youth soccer scene. Oh yeah, <laughs> he has strong opinions about ECNL. It's it's uh 
it's intense on that one. <laughs> but no, and then I think like the first one of the first soccer books I, I remember like truly resonating and being like, I want to know more about this stuff is the Beckham experiment. Hey, I remember reading that nice. in like a single day, like because it was just like, wait, he said what? And he got this information. <laughs> and in retrospect, realizing that a lot of it, I feel like, came from Landon Donovan. Uh, <laughs> like, like, I, but it was that was another one I think for me. So thank you for that, Grant. But that was another one where it was a bit more like, oh, there's there are behind the scenes stories more so than I realized because I didn't really grow up on like the secret footballer or wasn't mm-hmm. even really familiar with that until I think I started doing the show with Daryl. So to realize like, oh, right, these guys are humans who have like off field lives that impact their on field performance. That sort of element was really fascinating to me, too. Now, other people that we saw, I think this is at a recent convention. Um, you know, we would have like people come to our desk and, and talk to us. And, you know, we've always got time to talk to people. Mm-hmm. But then we saw guys like uh, Kyle Martino yep. and Alexi Lalas are the two that stand out, yeah. who walking around the convention, they would get stopped every five feet by someone who wanted to say hello, take a photo, do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they had, they had time and patience mm-hmm. and were genuinely interested to meet absolutely everybody, despite them having to be in certain places at certain times. Mm-hmm. And yet to see them navigate that so graciously, I was just really, really impressed by it. So it's almost like to see these high-profile people in public have time for everybody because the soccer community is still a smallish community, right? Where yeah. we're all in it together. Um, to see that was really impressive. I mean, and I, I've told this story before, but I'll, I'll tell it here in an abbreviated fashion. Like, we know Alexi because I made fun of him on the show and didn't realize that he listened to the show. <laughs> so then he, he responded to that. <laughs> and then it went from there and he appeared on there. But since then, he's been a very... And he's gracious about that, right? Yeah. He could have been mad at of us. Of course, but, yeah. of course. And and since then, he has been a very gracious guy to us. He, he comes on the show all the time. and I And I know he is a polarizing to say the least figure but (laughs) i i I think of him a little bit the way i think of like gordon ramsay in that he has this very angry loud public persona and yet if you talk to people or read interviews about gordon ramsay no one ever says anything negative it is always he's the nicest person i've ever met who just also has that other persona and that is yell on tv yeah exactly (laughs) and i feel like that kind of uh crosses to alexi lalas where if you meet him in person and i've noticed that before that for how much negativity and like vitriol gets sent his way on twitter he is the one who is mobbed by people for autographs and selfies every time i've seen him in public that's true and and it's it's interesting that you mentioned kyle martino and alexi lalas because I, i don't know if this is coincidental or not, not just that they have time to talk to people at conventions, but they're two of the hardest working sort of researchers who do what they do that I've worked with. Um, Like they do the work uh, and they're always prepared, which if you're a former athlete, I've noticed that usually is the dividing line, like between ex-players who show up having prepared and some who think they can sort of just show up and do the job. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, um, you know, and I worked with Alexi for several years at Fox. Um, he's a very good teammate. Um, and he has that shtick, like you say. But in my experience, he was also the most supportive or, you know, one of the most supportive, along with a few other people, teammates I ever had working together in, in TV, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I imagine that would be very nice. But it like it, it's it makes it difficult I think for us a little bit because he he advocates positions sometimes that I don't agree with correct sometimes sometimes at all like today but like (laughs) 
and so on we Twitter right now. Yeah, and yeah. so we we have those moments where people will be like, "Why do you have that guy on your show?" And mm-hmm. it's just sort of as like I don't really feel like getting into it there, but I guess why not get into it on a massive podcast for Sports <laughs> Illustrated? Uh, but it, it, it's just the case that like I I think of him as like he has a public persona and he advocates certain positions as Daryl rolls away from his microphone. Um, <laughs> but like, but to us, like he's never been anything but like a gentleman and a and a good friend. He shows up to live events when we do them. He he's, yeah, he's been he's been in two of our live shows. I believe yeah. and he's nice. and he's come to out for drinks and met me and my wife in DC and and I think he makes that effort and so while I don't agree with a lot of what he says on occasion <laughs> uh, I, I think it's still I'm, I can kind of separate that a little bit yeah. and and enjoy what he brings to the table as a result and speaking of people we admire like genuinely I know we've, we've worked with them a lot and we're, we're friends but mm-hmm. the Cooligans yep. um, Alexis mm-hmm. and Christian I really admire their sort of willingness to do something that's so different to what everybody else is doing because they're bringing that comedy aspect mm-hmm. to it as opposed to a journalistic aspect, but also to do it independently, which is really important to us, the sort of independence of it. So to see someone else doing something similar to what we're doing but in a different way, um, I really admire what they're doing. Yeah, and I think Christian is great too. <laughs> Agreed. Um, it, as we sort of wind down a little bit here, I always at this point in the podcast like to ask people because a fair number of listeners – to this podcast uh, are students, young people who sort of might want to go into doing what you do professionally at some point. And I'm wondering if you had any advice for them. Yeah, don't do it. It's full. <laughs> we don't need anyone coming after us. Uh, no, that's, that's a bad answer, right? Um, I mean, the, the thing we talked about earlier was it's not. it doesn't happen right away, mm-hmm. right? So you've got yeah. to almost be willing to do it just to do it to begin with and just focus on making it as good as it can be. And your first one's not going to be good, nope. right? Even if you put loads of time and effort into it. We took like a week to produce that first oh, show. I think, you big, I think we took a month to put yeah. that first show together. Yeah, And, and it's just not going to be as good as mm-hmm. you're going to be a year later or two years later or three years later. So you've almost got to just accept that you're not immediately going to come out the gates with something that's exactly what you want it to be and you're suddenly going to have all these listeners. Do you remember that New York, was it a New York Times Magazine story? Um, about the uh, two women that started the Advice Podcast yeah. and mm-hmm. quit after six episodes because yes. they didn't have um, loads of listeners. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and and I think like like I agree with everything Daryl said, and I would add to it that like when I first was considering like trying to become a sports writer, I met with like a local radio host here, and his point was like you've got to find your your niche. And at the time, I didn't really want to do that. I didn't want to write write about high school soccer. But I think about it now, and I agree with what he said to an extent, which is that like I would my advice to people who want to start a podcast would be like you can talk about the u.s national team but know that there are many many other podcasts who do that same thing for the premier league same thing for major league soccer and lots of other leagues but i think what it takes is not even necessarily having a like different approach you've got to look at it from a different angle but more so like what i think made a difference for us is our initial shows would be we'd watch it in a bar when we had the four co-hosts we'd go to the studio and sort of try to remember what we'd seen and then talk about it and i give credit to daryl daryl was the one who i think really started focusing focusing us down on on tactics and why did that happen and mm-hmm. why was that player able to do that and so that needs a rewatch yeah right? and, and so that's when we started rewatching stuff and now we don't go to bars we don't really watch publicly we sit in our office as seems to be a common theme here <laughs> and we watch it that way but I guess so my advice to people who want to do that is like find a way you want to approach it and then kind of stick with that and evolve obviously but I think people assume that like oh yeah me and my buddies are really funny so we'll do a podcast and then you end up doing that but like you don't 
it's not always easy to find stuff to talk about as crazy as that sounds. And so really watching it together and having different ideas, that would be my advice is try to find the thing that you think is most interesting and then embrace that. And do your research, right? Yep. Yeah. If you, I, I hear a lot of uh, shows that have just started. You know, I always like listen around to new shows to see what's going on. I hear a lot of, and not naming anyone specifically, but people essentially just pretending they know or just trying mm-hmm. to wing it. And I, I think you can always tell in someone's voice when they don't actually know, they're just sort of guessing at it. So I think like... Yeah, you- I hate it. Daryl always knows. <laughs> Daryl always knows when I'm like, and the defender. And he's like, you don't know who it was, do you? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> but just that thing of doing the research, so then you can genuinely go into the recorded conversation confident mm-hmm. that you know what you're talking about. And then to me, at least, that, that's how I relax myself, right? Yeah. Is I, I, if I feel confident that I know it, there's no nerves because I'm not, no one's going to catch me out because I'm not trying to get away with anything. Exactly. <laughs> and I just, for example, Grant, when you sit down to write something, right, you've done your research. You don't yeah. just wing it and then hand it in and be like, yeah, that'll be good enough. Uh, that, I mean, because that's not how you, you get to the top of the game. Not so much, no. Um, we talk- we've just rumbled you on a bit. We talked earlier about the American soccer community being sort of a close-knit community. Um, Last year, Daryl, you had a a real health scare that the world knew about uh, eventually and came together and and was very supportive. And um, could you fill everyone in sort of on on that story? And and from what I can gather, things are are better these days health-wise for you. Yeah, I mean, they're not cured, but they're, I mean, I'm here and (laughs) all's good. Uh, So, yeah, it was January 2019. Um, I got a stage four colon cancer diagnosis. Um, I was actually in Florida at the time, uh, just on a visit. Um, So, what is it, maybe only a couple weeks afterwards, I think. Essentially, when we announced on the show that, hey, Daryl's been missing for a couple of weeks, here's why. Um, uh, it, it kind of just picked up and uh, a friend of mine started to go fund me, but then the soccer community started sharing it. And uh, Charles Bohm wrote a piece for MLS mm-hmm. Soccer, which I think got more attention. Uh, Stu Holden mentioned mm-hmm. it on the uh, uh, BR Live Champions League uh, yeah, broadcast. On yep. Yeah, on Turner. Yeah, so, and yeah, it was really, it was incredible to see the soccer community sort of all support me. It was genuinely in a really tough time. It was uh, something that really cheered me up. It's It's weirdly one of the... It's been, one of, it's been like the worst six months, but also the best six months because incredible things like that have happened. And it, you really feel that, like, that support and like, get kind of emotional about it. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of what's happened lately, um, so I've gone through – so I've had the, the original tumor removed uh, through surgery, but it had spread to my liver and uh, like my abdomen. Um, I've gone through 12 rounds of chemotherapy, which has just started to stop working, which that, that isn't a good thing. But I am now on a, a clinical trial in Boston, um, where it targets a very specific genetic mutation that I have. So the uh, and apparently the results so far, only fifteen people have done it so far, but the mm-hmm. uh, the results have been uh, pretty good. So it's it's definitely not gone away. It's definitely something we're still dealing with, and we, we don't know what the result will be. Uh, but but in the meantime, everything's good. <laughs> and I would add that like we are like a, you know we're a startup, we're a podcast. Uh, Daryl, are we a startup? I guess so. <laughs> and Daryl's wife is like like she's self employed. She has her own business as well. And so I, I do think I don't want to like put your business in the streets, Daryl. But uh, <laughs> but like it, that GoFundMe allowed for a, a lot of things, including like yeah. it makes it way less stressful for Daryl to fly to Boston mm-hmm. yeah. every now and then to get treatment. I don't yeah, think that would have been a possibility. Every couple of weeks for yeah. the next few months. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, which is what exactly what that money was for, right? There so, we yeah. are. Yeah, and and if, and sorry, and I don't want to like jump in too much. I just want to add mm. that when you were in Florida, uh, I am very grateful. Another person who I think has helped the show a lot is George Koreshi. Yes. He's the uh, mm. the editor over at the Athletic, along yeah. with Brooks Peck. Hi, Brooks. Uh, but George, George 
Sturgeon's wife put you guys up, I know right? Alexander. And like, and his dad loaned you their car. Like, I, I just yeah. find like that's. I think that to your point, Grant is is the thing that I found so reassuring. At least, like on a personal note, is that there were so many people who wanted to help Daryl, and I think that's a credit to Daryl and who he is as a person, but also the community that you talked about that. It, that's who George is and who his dad is that like yeah take the car do whatever stay here we don't care yeah. but I think that's been a lot of people that we've encountered in US soccer right? from fans to players to journalists and everybody in between it's, it's been uh, very reassuring for me at least well I speak for a lot of people when I say we're thinking about you in everything you're dealing with there and it's, it's amazing that you're able to continue doing as much of this stuff as you're doing yeah, thanks. I, I've got to say, Taylor's been great because he's, you know, like helped me be flexible with my schedule in a way that if I had a more regular job, I think if I asked a boss for the time off that I've asked Taylor to accommodate me for, I think I would have been fired by now. And and, and I keep reminding him, <laughs> remember that two years when I wasn't doing the yeah. show and he was. So <laughs> I, feel, like, I feel like there's... I've they, got like two years of credit to burn. I think, right? I think you yeah. do, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Just as a last question, I'm, I'm curious to know, where do you guys want to take this show down the road? I think we want to stay independent, mm-hmm. right? Correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor, but like, unless there's some like massive, massive offer comes in, yeah. we like the idea of owning the show ourselves and no one telling us what to do. Uh, the goal is just to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and maybe add more spin-off shows like Soccer 101. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think like to, to a question you were asking a while ago, that's like, that is the nerve-wracking part of doing a podcast full-time is like, unless you get bought out by somebody or you want to go to work for a, a bigger network, you, you never quite feel like you're established, even now mm-hmm. where I think we're on a, the strongest footing we've been on, at least from yeah. a like, show financial standpoint. It still feels like, oh, yeah, but there are people out there who are writing, who are making way more and who have stable incomes. And, like, and it can be a little bit daunting in that regard. But I think that's a thing that, again, I'm not, I feel like I'm ending up just talking like, nice things about Daryl. But like that, I was much it's more like, no, 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 no let's just go work for somebody. And Daryl was much more like, no, nah, I think we should probably stay independent. And I think that was the right way to go. And so I think, yeah, that's where I hope we end up taking it and add some more shows and keep doing what we're doing and maybe expand to a slightly larger office if we do keep adding people. But uh, <laughs> but we'll see if that ends up happening. It is crowded in here. It is. It is. <laughs> they are Daryl Grove and Taylor Rockwell. You also know them as the Total Soccer Show podcast. And they also host Soccer 101. Check all of that stuff out if you haven't already. If you listen to my show, you probably have. Um, and guys, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you, Grant. I appreciate you inviting us on. It, it is it is genuinely surreal to be uh, talking to Grant Wall, a person who I like started reading many, many years ago. And I was like, I want that guy's job. I don't really want your job anymore, Grant, although, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Maybe me and Sports Illustrator are talking. The You'll Grant find Wall out. Role is filled, <laughs> it really is. It really is. So, yes, thank you for all that you do. And thank you very much for, for having us. It's It's been real fun. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Daryl Grove and Taylor Rockwell as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, check out Planet Football TV, SI's weekly soccer video series that I co-host with Luis Miguel Echegaray. We have interviews, debate, and thoughtful opinions on the game we love. That's Planet Football TV. See you next time.